Hello, people of the way. Blessings in Jesus. If you have your Bible, please open up to Ruth chapter 2, the book of Ruth chapter 2. We continue our study through the Old Testament. Now, remember where we left off last week with Naomi and Ruth. And where we left off last week, it's the beginning of the barley harvest. And Naomi, what happened is she returns home to Bethlehem and with her is her daughter-in-law. This is Ruth. Ruth is her daughter-in-law, a Gentile from Moab. Ruth having denied everything to be with Naomi. Now, if you're listening for the first time, make sure you listen to the study in chapter one before this study in chapter two, because we have to understand what is happening here. We can't overlook the death that has happened. Both of these women, both of these beautiful, beautiful women, they're widows, you see. And, you know, this being widows presents some issues in terms of inheritance because there's a break in lineage. And I don't I don't want to refer to death as, you know, it presents issues because it's it's heavy. We can't overlook the pain and the hurt. Both are widows. Their husbands have died. They're dead. But because of their death, now it brings up this matter of inheritance. And, you know, in the case of Naomi, the matriarch, there's even more pain because now both of her sons, they're also dead. I mean, chapter one is, was a heavy, heavy subject. I mean, the things that were happening, it was just like boom, 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 left and right. Like, oh my goodness, how it got even more painful for Naomi, for the two, you know, the younger women, the, the her daughters-in-law. But then at the same time, one left, Orpah, and then the other, Naomi, or, or uh, Ruth, she stayed, she clung to Naomi. But we can't forget death. The husbands, they've died. But at the same time, Naomi, she lost her sons as well. And that's painful. I mean, for me, I don't know if there's a worse pain, a worse pain than a mother who has lost her child. I I don't think there's a worse pain. But then at the same time, you know, that, that, that in itself is an understatement. But then... Naomi, she lost two. That's the kind of pain that makes every single day of life unbearable. That's major, major pain. How can she live? This, we can't overlook that this is a, a period of sorrow, great sorrow. And that even doesn't do it justice because it's major sorrow. And, you know, understand they're in Bethlehem now, but in years prior when Naomi left, she left Bethlehem with a full family. Husband, kids, they left. But then now she's coming back and there's no offspring of her womb. No husband, you see? And what she has is Ruth. Remember last week in our study, she was like telling the women, no, no, stay here in Moab, stay here in Moab, not to be mean, not to be harsh, not to deal harshly with them, but in love, like, listen, you know, like get married again, have your, get new husbands. And you know, this is, you know, have your kids, you know, she speaking of herself, she was, she's an old lady to, and she's like, you know, am I to get married again? And if I do get married again, do, and I have a son, are you going to wait? So she says, no, stay here. Orpah left. Ruth clung to her. And so now these two women, they're in Bethlehem now. And so we begin our study here in Ruth chapter 2. 
And in verse 1, we see here in Ruth chapter 2, verse 1, there was a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. And this translates of the family of Elimelech, Mishpacha in the Hebrew, which is in the circle of kin of Elimelech. Great wealth and virtue this particular individual has. Great wealth and virtue is how it translates in the Hebrew. So he has wealth. Now, if you've been walking with us for a while, do you remember in our studies through the law how we made mention of wealth and how wealth was accumulated? Where in terms of like, like you know, say for example, there's two guys. There's two guys of equal wealth. And they seem to be alike. From the outside looking in, you say, okay, this guy has, you know, uh, $10 million in his bank account and this other guy has $10 million in his bank account. And you're like, okay, they're, they're both alike. And so, you know, it, but... You know, one guy, he has wealth because he's conniving and he steals oxen. And then the other guy, you know, you see his behavior, his demeanor, and he's humble and he breeds his oxen with wisdom. So from the outside looking in, it's like, okay, they're, they're, the two are alike. But from the inside looking out, you realize, whoa, they're not alike. Their perspective and vantage point in their, we'll say, approach to life it's completely different night and day. You look at the two, it's like, wow, they're, 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 this guy's a wealthy guy. You look at the other guy, wow, this guy's a wealthy guy. They're alike. But when you look at the framework, their makeup, their behavior, their demeanor, when you look at the nuts and bolts of how they conduct themselves in life, you see that, whoa, these two are not alike. Yeah, they're both wealthy. But then you see one guy, you know, he's he achieves his wealth. He's acquired wealth through, you know, conniving and stealing and, you know, all kinds of different means. But then the other guy, no, he honors the Lord. You see? And sometimes today, in the life that we live in today, in the world that we live in today, what happens even in the church is that people shun the wealthy. And there's, you know, among the wealthy, there's certain things worthy of shunning. Don't get me wrong. But at the same time, you know, there are instances where you come across a person such as Barnabas, who has wealth, yes, and with wealth, honors the Lord. Very rare, but you do come across people like this in the body of Christ. And so these are things that we have to keep in mind when we look at these studies, because you're going to see something so beautiful. Where do you remember when we would make reference and we know we, we look at like you know, uh, uh, Leviticus and Numbers and Deuteronomy, how the framework and the statutes, those are set forth. But then at the same time, as you start to read and Joshua and Judges, and here we are in Ruth. It's like, well, wait a second. Who is honoring the Lord? What tribe is there that is honoring the Lord? And if no tribe, what people? If there's no people, what family? If there's no family, what person? And that's what I love so much about the book of Ruth. Because we see people who honor the Lord. Yeah, this particular individual, he's wealthy. But and you see that with his wealth, he honors the Lord. And so in verse one, we see that, you know, that there's a relative of Naomi's husband, a man of great wealth of the family of Elimelech. His name was Boaz. In verse two, so Ruth the Moabitess, now remember you, Ruth here, she's the younger woman who was married to Naomi's son and he died. And so here, you know, in, in verse two, so Ruth the Moabitess said to Naomi, 
Please let me go to the field and glean heads of grain after him in whose sight I may find favor. And, you know, there are several things that we have to keep in mind. When we look at this chapter, when we look at the book of Ruth, there's a lot of things that we have to keep in mind in terms of ridding ourselves of modern day references and modern day mindsets and modern day examples. And this isn't to, to, to a, a, a knock on any of you listening. This is a, it's a knock on the world in which we live. Because you look at a situation here and Ruth, who is a widow, she's not looking for a husband. She's not looking for the next husband. You see, and Ruth isn't targeting wealthy people, the wealthy landowners. And Naomi, she isn't advising Ruth to target the wealthy landowners. They're not, it's not that type of self-interest of like, okay, I'm going to get my a new husband and I'm going to choose the rich guy. And so I got to, you know, uh, schmooze him. And, no, and that's what... I, I hate even suggesting, even saying that that's not the case because it's not the case. But it's sad because in this modern world that we live in, which I hate, I can't stand this world in which we live. I, I can't wait till we're done with it. I, I, I don't like it. But in this world that we live in, we have these examples of people who do exactly that living life according to the flesh, living life according to their carnal nature. And you could say, well, they do that in the world. Well, hold on a second. It happens in the church as well. And so in ridding ourselves of these modern day examples and modern day mindsets, we have to keep in mind that this is different. Than, number one, this isn't modern day. But then number two, there is a uniqueness to these people that we see in the book of Ruth. At a time when, remember, it's encapsulated in the in, in, in the time, in the era of the judges. At a time when everybody is doing right according to their own eyes. You see certain individuals who honor the Lord. And so Ruth, she's not, she's not like, okay, you know, I'm single and so I need a new husband. No, that's not even in her mind. And you know, you know, in in in, in there, there's a certain aspect of an oblivious aspect, we'll say, of these things, because you know, in verse 19, not to get ahead of ourselves here, but in verse 19, Naomi asks, you know, where did you go? So it's not like Naomi's saying, hey, you know, go to this guy's house, he's rich, you know, go over here to this land because, you know, he's rich, you know, and, you know, maybe you can be a husband, maybe you could schmooze him and, you know, he'll be your husband. And I hate saying that. I don't like saying that. I hate it because there's such beauty in Naomi. There's such beauty in Ruth. And we're going to see there's such beauty in Boaz as well. And I hate suggesting, not suggesting, but I hate saying that it's not suggested because we have this world that we're this present world where we do have these you see it all the time it happens with you know people who like you know the, the single people oh i'm gonna go uh, you know schmooze this rich guy or the guys who you know i'm gonna go schmooze this rich girl and you know all these things because they're looking out for themselves but not so with the remnant the remnant is different the remnant is different we're in this world, but we're not of this world. 
And so as we shed ourselves of these mindsets, we have to keep this in mind that Ruth, Naomi, and we're going to see Boaz, there's just something different about them. And so I love this obliviousness. I love it so much because you know what we don't see? We don't see manipulation. We don't see the coordination of man or woman. You know what happens? Things just fall into place. Things just happen. You don't see Naomi saying, hey, you don't go to this rich guy. You don't see Ruth saying, oh, you know, hey, Naomi, who's the richest guy here? You don't see that. You don't see manipulation. Things just happen. You don't see coordination. Things just happen. There was a time when I was talking to this self-proclaimed prophetess. Self-proclaimed. And, you know, in, in her circle of influence, there were people who acknowledged her as a prophetess and something special because they said, oh, yeah, you know, oh, yeah, she says things and she certain things are going to happen and miraculously they happen. When really what was happening is she was a busybody. That's what she was. She was a busybody. All up in people's business, wanting to know everything about everything, including schedules and times of people. So she could say, well, the Lord made me run into this person at the store. And when I ran into this person at the store, the Lord wanted me to say to this person and, you know, fill in the blank, whatever she conjured up in her mind. And she was saying, well, you know, I just so happened to run into this person at the store. But a, a, a week prior, two weeks prior, she was working him over, you know, like, oh, you know, what's your schedule? You know, on Tuesdays after work, you go here, you know, she was like working him over so that she could say, well, I, I just happened to run into this person at the store. Or following people, she was like a stalker. Oh, yeah, self-proclaimed prophetess. Oh, yeah, I'm a prophetess. That's what she would say. And people would say, oh, yeah, you know, she, she's a prophetess. You know, she says that certain things happen. And then all of a sudden, like a week later, two weeks later, it happens. You see, she prophesied that it was going to happen. But no, you know what she was doing? She was working the system. That's what she was doing. And people, they were treating her like something holy. But when in reality, it was wickedness. She was a prophetess. That's more witchcraft. You see? And then you look at the fruit and it's a trail of destruction. And something when it's truly of the Lord, when it's truly, truly, truly of the Lord, you will not see manipulation of man. You won't see manipulation of man. You won't see carnal coordination. You know what happens? It just falls into place. Things just happen. That's when you know it's of the Lord. When it's truly of the Lord, you won't see like, you know, somebody saying, hey, you know, do this, do this. And when this happens, do this, do this, do this. You know, that's that's like coordination of man. You won't see a person say, well, you know, uh, uh, you know, I'm a widow now. And, you know, my last husband was poor. And so uh, I want to be rich. You know, I don't want to be poor anymore. I want to be rich. So, you know, I'm going to go hobnob with these rich guys over here. And I'm going to go target this guy who's the richest. And I'm going to work him over, you know, and. Maybe this will happen and this will happen. And, you know, she's just working the system, you know, trying to trying to weasel her, her way into somebody's life. And that's what you see among the unholy. 
That's what you see among leaven. But among the remnant, among the holy, among the righteous, you won't see that type of manipulation. You won't see that type of coordination. Things just happen. You'll see the hand of the Lord. When you have eyes to see, you'll see the hand of the Lord. You see? And so Ruth, she's not looking for the next husband. And Naomi, she's, she's not manipulating for the next husband. What Ruth is doing, she's looking for food. She's looking for grain. Now, as New Covenant believers, we know what grain is. And that's what Ruth is doing. She's looking for food. And sometimes today, you know, a relationship ends or a marriage ends and immediately, boom, you know, on to the next spouse. On to the next spouse. It's like, wow, you know, he just died. You know, the, 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 the body's not even cold yet. And boom, already on the next spouse. But that's not Ruth here. That's not Ruth here. You see? And so she asks a question to Naomi. And her question to Naomi has unknowns to it because she says to her, this is, you know, Ruth says to Naomi, let me go to the country. Like, you know, in, in farming communities, you know, sometimes you have, you know, areas where people live, but then nearby you go to the country, the countryside, and that's where the fields are. And the fields are segregated. They have different owners. But, you know, in, in one part of the area is where the people live. You know, the townspeople, they, you know, buy and sell and trade in a certain marketplace. But then the actual farmland, it's not in that area. It's, you know, at a, a distance away. And in that large span of field is where you have different property owners. And that's how land was segregated out among the, 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 the field owners. And so it's very similar to what is happening here because Ruth is asking of Naomi, let me go to where the fields are. And whoever shows me favor, I'll get us food. I'll get us grain. You know, we have to remember they're both widows. There's number one, there's no male covering. And in these days, the men, they were like the bread earners. And so, you know, they would go out and make a living and, you know, do their, uh, uh, do their work and, you know, come home. But and the women, they didn't have that. They didn't have that, uh, uh, the, the, the freedom where like, if a guy was out of work, it's like, okay, you know, I'm going to go work over here. And if I don't get to work, if, if that ends, then I'm going to go work over here. There was more flexibility for the males today. There's a lot of flexibility for both male and female where, you know, female CEOs today, they can run circles around men. And it's so beautiful because, you know, you see in Ruth, she's like, hey, Naomi, I'm going to go get us some food. I'm going to go get us some food. You know, let me go to the country. I'm going to go to where the field, let me go to the country where the fields are, you know, and, you know, whoever shows me favor, I'm going to get us food. I'm going to get us grain. Now, remember, Ruth denied Moab in our study in last week. She denied her hometown. Remember, she's Gentile. And she clung to Naomi, and in this headship, where Naomi is matriarch, she's asking Naomi, Naomi, let me do this. Let me do this. And so we see at the verse, the, the end of verse 2, she, and, and she said to her, go, my daughter. So Naomi gives the green light. Go, my daughter. In verse 3, then she left. She left and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers. Now, to glean here is to glean and gather and pick up. She's doing, she's getting grain. That's what she's doing. Now, 
Do you remember, if you've been walking with us for a while, do you remember our studies in the law where there were rules for the wealthy, where a wealthy landowner can have workers in his field and they were supposed to be somewhat sloppy and not sloppy for sloppy's sake, but if grain and corn and fruit, if it fell on the ground, they were not supposed to be sticklers about, you know, every little thing and pick up every little item. Oh, you know, I dropped an apple over here. Oh, I dropped some corn over here. Oh, I dropped the, you know, the some some wheat over here. I dropped this. And you know, they weren't supposed to be sticklers about every single item that fell. They were supposed to let them fall. If it fell, you know, it's on the ground. That's what the, that's provisions in the law. Do you remember our studies? I mean, if you've been walking with us for a while, but if you're a new listener, go back and listen to our studies through Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, because these are things that are explained. And the reason why they weren't supposed to be sticklers is that the stuff that fell on the ground, it was for the poor people. Where after the reapers would come in, they could, they might, you know, if you ever see like workers out in the field, you know, it's not a slow thing. I mean, workers out in the field, they're working fast. You know, they're like putting stuff in their baskets and, you know, the, they leave the baskets and another guy comes by and picks up the baskets. They take it to the truck and, you know, all, it's, it's kind of like a fast moving operation. And back in the day, there's statutes in the law that says, hey, you know, it's still a fast operation, but, you know, things are going to fall to the ground. And if things fall to the ground, let them be on the ground because it's for the poor people. And so the workers will go through the field and then it's the poor people who would come in afterwards and they would pick up those things off the ground. You see, the poor people would go and then they would go after the reapers of the owner. You see. And then the poor people could reap for themselves and their families. So the poor people, they still have food to eat. They wouldn't, you know, be poor. And like, you know, it's, you know, in some countries, you know, when you're poor, it's a death sentence. You're poor and then your life expectancies is like, you know, you're going to live to age 30. You know, if you make it to age 30, life expectancies are like, you know, super low. You might make it to 35, you might make it to 40, but you know, life expectancy is super low. And you know, if you have kids, you might have five kids, but only one makes it to age 20. That's how it is in impoverished areas, impoverished countries, impoverished regions, where being poor is like a death sentence. But in the statutes of the law of God, you can be poor, but there are provisions in the law to provide for the poor. You see, they still had to work. They still have to go and reap, but they, you know, a, a poor person could go through the field and pick up corn and not like, you know, ha- like, you know, nasty corn, you know, like, it's not like, you know, the rich people didn't want this. It's like, it's not like moldy corn, you know, and moldy apples and moldy fruits. And no, it's just stuff that fell on the ground. And so the poor person could, could gather and then go home and say, you know, here, I got food for my family. You see? And that's what Ruth was doing for Naomi. I'm going to go get us some grain. You know, let me, you know, let me go into the, to the area of the fields. Let me go into the country, not here in the town side, not here in the, the town where the people live. Let me go into the country where all the fields are. And then Naomi tells her, go, my daughter. You see? And in verse 3, we see she went and gleaned in the fields after the reapers. And that's what she was doing. She was going to pick up stuff, the stuff that fell. 
provisions in the law that says, you know, when stuff falls, just leave it there. Don't be like sticklers about it. You know, you drop a corn, you know, pick it up and, you know, you drop this. Don't be sticklers about it. Just let it fall. Let it be there. It's for the poor people so they can come in afterwards and feed their families. You see, the law's provision for poor people who still had to work. And, you know, sometimes, you know, there's some wealthy people, they don't observe this provision in the law. I mean, we've already seen, I mean, remember, we're in the judge's era. We're in the judge's era now where we, we see how people are doing what is right in their own eye. We see how there is idolatry. But at the same time, <clears throat> we see how there are people who observe the law and don't observe the law. We see people who observe the law, but they have the wrong formula. Remember the, the festival that we studied in the in the book of Judges, the, the, the in the in the last book of the book of Judges, or the last chapter? It's like the whole time they, they have their annual annual feast of the Lord. You see? And so you see people who observe the law, people who don't observe the law, and then at the same time, you know, of the ones who don't observe the law, you know, picture that being a stickler with every single item that falls where, yeah, you got this rich guy, and yeah, he's got a big, vast field, and wow, you know, there's all this wealth and amassing all this wealth, and yeah, he has his workers and all these things, but there's no provision for the poor people because the guy's a stickler. But the law says he shouldn't be that way. Well, you know, he has a choice to make. And that's the choice he chose to dishonor the law. You see? And I'm not advocating the law in saying this, but only pointing to the fact that the law has provisions. The law has statutes. You see? The law is still holy. Don't forget. It's just the lesser light. The greater glory is Jesus Christ, the law's fulfillment. And the prophets, remember? Very important to understand. Which just so happens we study this on Sunday in our in our in our in, in our New Testament studies. What Brother John tells us and what he teaches us. You see, the law is explicitly clear. The wealthy have a choice to make. What is pleasing to me or what is pleasing to God, and that choice is not. Reserved for the wealthy only. It is for everybody. What is it that is pleasing to me? And what is it that is pleasing to God? Eh, okay. Balls in your court. Once you, once you put that in, you know, in, in application in your life and understand that every single day at multiple intervals of every single day, you have a choice to make. What is it that is pleasing to me and what is it that is pleasing to the Lord? And then you go forward in the manner in which you choose. Is it pleasing to me or is it pleasing to God? You see? And something's going to happen. When you start walking in a manner that is pleasing to the Lord, something's going to happen as you change, as the Lord changes you. What is pleasing to you is also what is pleasing to the Lord. And what is pleasing to the Lord is pleasing to you. That's what's going to happen. When you and me, when we reckon the old man dead, when we reckon the old woman dead, and when we walk according to the Spirit and not according to the flesh, it's supernatural. You see? And so this... The wealthy, they have a choice to make. The poor, they have a choice to make. And the middle class, they have a choice to make. You see? 
regardless of socioeconomics, everybody has a choice to make for themselves. And this is what Ruth is doing. She's going in into the fields after the reapers. You know, she went into the country where there's, you know, the, the, nothing but fields where, you know, in, in the town in, in, in Bethlehem. That's where the townspeople live. That's where Naomi is. That that's where she lives, you know. And that's where they have their home. But she says, Naomi, permit me to go into the countryside. Permit me, permit me to go into the area where there's vast fields. And so Naomi says, go ahead, my daughter. You see? And so the workers, they do their reaping and she's going in after them. You see? The ones going after the reapers would be the poor people. And she's getting food for her home. She's getting grain for her home, which now consists of her mother-in-law only. Don't forget, she, she lost a husband as well. Naomi lost a husband. Ruth lost her husband. These are widows we're talking about. We can't overlook the sorrow either. Very important. And sometimes it's easy to overlook the sorrow because it's like, you know, we're, you know here we are in 2023. And here we are reading an event that happened many, many moons ago. And sometimes we kind of get sidetracked in terms of forgetting the sorrow. And within the case of Naomi, it's, a, it's sorrow upon sorrow upon sorrow because husband's dead, sons are dead. And it breaks my heart. And so the home of Ruth is just mother-in-law only. And I don't like saying mother-in-law because it's deeper. It's more special. Ruth denied Moab. She denied her own biological for something deeper, for something better. Now, look what happens with Ruth. Who's, she's collecting grain for her home. So she, she asked Naomi, you know, Naomi, let me go into the countryside where all the, the vast fields are. Naomi says, go, my daughter. And so we see here, she does that to go work in the field. And she happened to come, the word says. And she happened to come. Now, something very interesting that we see here, she happened to come in the Hebrew, translates as something met. Something happened, something befallen, something brought about, something appointed. You see, no manipulation. No coordination. No manipulation of man, no coordination of men. Things are just happening. Things are just happening. Things are just falling into place. There's hands, all right but it's not a man. And she happened to come, it says, she happened to come to the field. She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz. Very interesting what we see happening. She happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the family of Elimelech. We see here in verse four, now behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. So remember Bethlehem, that's where like the residences are. You know, people live there. And then so Boaz, he's a wealthy man. He goes to the country where all the fields are and he goes to his field. And notice in verse four, Boaz came from Bethlehem and said to the reapers, the Lord be with you. Now already, already he has this, this is the first, the first thing he said. And already I'm in love with Boaz. See, you have a wealthy man who doesn't walk on the scene barking orders. He doesn't say, hey, get to work. He walks. He, he arrives on the scene, says, the Lord be with you. He says this to his workers. 
And they answered him, the word says, the Lord bless you. That's how they answered, the Lord bless you. I'm so in love with what we see. I'm so in love with Boaz and what we see. Do you remember? Do you remember? If you've been walking with us for a while, do you remember how, you know, we gave the example and we still give the example sometimes where, you know, you and me, where we're poor and we're servants and, you know, say, for example, we're in a poor family in these particular days, in this particular era, we're in a poor family and we're sold into servanthood. Now, today, I know that seems bad. You know, we're sold into servanthood. It sounds terrible today. But among God's people, Israel, when the formula is right, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. Provisions in the law, statutes in the law. It's beautiful. You say, how can servanthood be beautiful? Well, say we're in a poor family and we're sold into servanthood. It's indentured. So it's not like, you know, we're sold into and we'll be slaves for the rest of our lives. No, it's a, a, a period of time that we're going to serve the master. And so we're in a poor family. We're sold into servanthood. It's indentured serv servanthood. It's for a period of time. And so now our family is no longer poor. Now they have funding to leave poverty. You see? And so, you know, we're going to serve our master. Say, you know, we're brother and brother or brother and sister if you're female. And we're sold into servanthood. And so we serve our master and our master pays our family. You know, here, you know, we're, we're like they're getting paid because, you know, we're, we're going to serve the master as servants. And so now our family has money instead of like, you know, they don't have turtle doves. You know, instead of going through the uh, uh, through the through the fields for uh, 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 you know the, the uh, for like you know the things that fall to the earth and you know like the, the grain that falls to the earth, you know what happens is that now they can purchase like you know a, a turtle dove, and now they have money to purchase uh, a, a, you know a couple lambs. Now they have money to make these purchases, so now they can breed lambs, they can breed sheep, they can breed goats, and maybe even get to a point where they could breed ox. Because we're sold into servanthood. And it's, it's not like, you know, we're, we're taken into servanthood. No, it, this is, we're willing participants. Like, you know, yes, we'll go serve this master. And so now our family has provisions to where, you know, now they can work their own field. It's a means by which there's a pathway to leave poverty. You see? And then say, for example, before we were sold into, in, into servanthood, say we had a relative, say we had a relative that was jealous of the wealthy class and he would always warn us, you know, oh, watch out for that rich guy. He loves money. Watch out for that rich guy. He loves money. He's not like us. So you know, watch out for him. Be careful because he loves money and that's not a good thing. And so we hear the, the counsel of our cousin. We hear the counsel of our relative. We hear the counsel of, say, another brother, another sister. We hear the counsel of this person who says, watch out for that rich guy. And so there's a little nervousness on our part because now we're in the master's home. And now we serve him. In, in, in prior examples, we, you know, we gave the example where I'm the cook, you know, and you're the server, you know, and, you know, we get to know our master. But let's change vocation. Say we're serving in our master's field now. We're not serving in the home. Say we're serving in his field. And over time, we realize that there's, you know, our, our, our relative, our cousin, brother, sister, they warned us, you know, watch out for that guy. Watch out for that guy because he loves money. But we start to realize, like, wait a second. I know that our, our brother said that. Our sister said that. You know, cousin said that. They told us to watch out for him. 
You know what? He's our master. We don't we don't see reason to be cautious with him because he's actually quite lovely. In fact, our master, he's godly. And these are things that we start to realize. I mean, in this example, what do you think we would tell our master who says to us, the Lord be with you? And in the case of Boaz, his own servants, oh, the Lord bless you. The Lord bless you. You see? We have to make these distinctions because, you know, there's wealthy people in the church today and they're wealthy, but they get shunned. Now, don't, don't forget, if you're wealthy today, there are rules as new covenant believers. There are rules for the wealthy. Don't be stingy. Don't let money own you. And sometimes, you know, you see that in churches where you see the wealthy class, but they're treated like, you know, high society, which remember the Lord, he's no respecter of persons. But the Lord blesses Old Testament, New Testament. The Lord blesses, you see. Who is it that honors the Lord regardless of socioeconomics, regardless of bank accounts? Who is it that honors the Lord? You see? And so in the case of Boaz, his servants tell him, the Lord bless you. I mean, if we, if, if we were servants and Boaz were to tell us, I say people weren't, be careful with Boaz, he's wealthy. Be careful with Boaz, he's wealthy. And so we're servants of Boaz. We're like, wow, he's a beautiful man. He's a lovely man. He's a godly man. And then Boaz comes up to us. The Lord be with you. What are we going to tell him? The Lord bless you too, Boaz. You see? As if Boaz isn't blessed enough already. The Lord bless you, Boaz. Now, Boaz is a lovely man. We have to make these distinctions. Because in church culture, we cannot forget Barnabas. Barnabas, a lovely man. And don't forget, his name was Joseph. That was his given name. His, his name given to him by his parents, Joseph. You know, Barnabas, son of encouragement. That was the name given to him by the apostles. Don't forget. Son of encouragement. The, the apostles gave him that name. You see, a wealthy man, but yet honoring of the Lord. Money did not own him. And today people say, oh, watch out for that rich guy. Watch out for that rich person. Watch out for these rich people. It's like, wait a second. Yeah, they might be rich because, you know, he's a conniver. This guy might be rich because, you know, he's a, a, a tax cheat. But this guy? There's nothing to be cautious about. He's like Barnabas. He honors the Lord. You see? And so in verse 5, then Boaz said to his servant who was in charge of the reapers, whose young woman is this? So when the workers are done weeping or, you know, like, uh, you know, there's, uh, you know, the workers, they're done reaping. And then like, you know, there's the portion of, you know, their portion of the field where they're done working. But certain things become noticeable. I mean, if you have, if you've ever seen workers on the field, I mean, it's kind of like a, like a smooth operation. It's like, it's, 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 it's very laborious. I mean, you, you, you shake a guy's hand and you're, it's, it, it's a hand, but it feels like leather. You know, it, these, you know, these, these, these people who work with their hands in the earth, their hands are like leather. I mean, 
Naked, they, they could, they don't even need like a hammer and nails. They don't need a hammer. They, they, they could use their fists. They can use their hands. I mean, it's just like, like it's hard leather. It's just, and you can see it. And so when you look at these workers in the field, it's like a smooth operation. It's like fast paced. Things are happening. And it's like, whoa, I mean, where if you were to step in the middle of them, it, you, you'd like get in the way. It's like a smooth operation. And so Boaz he comes to the, 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 we'll say like the foreman, the one who was in charge of the reapers. And so in this smooth operation where the workers are going, you know, section by section, by section, by section, by section, by section, he looks back and he sees this woman. And it, it's noticeable. Whose young woman is this? He says to the Foreman will say the one who was in charge of the reapers and so Boaz inquires of the woman that he sees in the field Who is she in verse 6? So the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered and says and said It is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab And she said, please let me glean and gather after the reapers among the sheaves So she came and has continued from morning until now and she rested a little in the house though though she rested a little in the house And I love Ruth so much because you know with Ruth so beautiful She wasn't even presumptuous in gleaning Because according to the report from the foreman will say she asked permission to glean and gather She wasn't presumptuous and just walked in. Oh, yeah, the you're supposed to do this. You're supposed to let me. No, she wasn't presumptuous at all. She goes to the foreman. Hey, can I do this? And nonstop, she's been working from morning until now. She's been gathering among the sheaves, but she did take a little break in the house. That's what the that's what the the the, the, the one who was in charge of the reapers. That was the report that he gave to Boaz. Now, there's something else to keep in mind here. Ruth is Moabite. We can't forget that she she's from Moab. Now. Remember our study in the book of Judges, and not just Judges, we've seen Moabites in the book of Numbers as well. Moab does not have the greatest history with Israel. Because included in the oppressors of Israel was Moab. And Moab was the people of this woman. So we have to keep this in mind in order so for us to have this perspective. I meant, for example, what would you think? What would you think of a person whose people don't have a good history with your people? What would you think of such a person? You know, we have listeners all around the world, various countries. And for you listening in whatever country you're in, if you were to take another country that doesn't have the greatest of histories with your own nation, and you take a person from that country, what would you think of such a person? Even as believers, what would you think of such a person? And so we look at what Boaz does. Now remember, this is Old Testament. This is Old Covenant. This is pre-seed. New Covenant teachings have not yet officially been given. And so Boaz goes to Ruth. The woman who's gathering in his field. And we see in verse 8, Then Boaz said to Ruth, You will listen, my daughter, will you not? No, Boaz, you know, he's of that, uh, that, that, that family of Elimelech, 
which is the another generation from Ruth. And so we have to keep that in mind. In verse 8, he says, you know, Boaz said to Ruth, you will listen, my daughter, will you not? Do not go to glean in another field, nor go from here, but stay close by my young women. Very interesting what we see. Workers in the field who are not male. They are female. Very interesting. Female workers in the field. Very interesting. And so Boaz continues in verse 9. He says, let your eyes be on the field which they reap and go after them. And so what Boaz is doing, he's presenting Ruth with a choice by imploring her. Stay in my field. Stay in my field. Of all the fields there are in the country, Boaz is telling her, stay close to my workers, who are women. We can't lose sight of the fact that workers in the field are women. And Boaz is saying, stay close to them. Don't go to another field. Stay in my field. And in verse 9, have I not commanded the young men not to touch you? Remember, Ruth is Moabite. Boaz is showing her favor. But that's his own personal choice based on his own convictions and desire to honor the Lord. Another person may not share in those same convictions like Boaz. And this master, Boaz, has commanded that the young men not touch Ruth. And he continues and says, And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink from what the young men have drawn. So in this field of Boaz, notice what we see. There's grain for Ruth. There's provision for her. And she's safe. He's commanded the men, don't touch her. She's thirsty. Ruth doesn't even have to draw the water. The men draw the water and Ruth drinks from that. Look at the favor that this man of wealth, Boaz, is showing to this Gentile Moabite woman. Look look at the mercy and grace that he is showing her. Mercy and grace. Long before New Covenant teachings were officially given. You see, we're in the Old Testament, don't forget. And in verse 10, So she fell on her face, bowed down to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes, that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? Picture the shock of Ruth. To receive favor to this degree, completely unexpected. So much so that she falls to her face. Why have I found favor in your eyes? I'm a foreigner. And in verse 11, And Boaz answered and said to her, It has been fully reported to me all that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband, and how you have left your father and your mother and the land of your birth, and have come to a people whom you did not know before. You see, you know what happened with Ruth? Her fruit preceded her. And what was inside of her preceded her. You ever meet people like that? Sometimes these days you meet people that are the opposite of that, where their nasty fruit precedes them. 
And the nasty, what's going on inside of them, it precedes them. And you're like, oh, you know, you get the heebie-jeebies around, you know, certain people. And it's sad to say, but you see more of the opposite of what we see in Ruth. But even in these days, there's some people where their fruit is so beautiful. What's inside of them is so beautiful. And it precedes them. And that's what's happening with Ruth. Boaz has had the full report of what has happened, what she has done. You see? And he's he's just meeting her. This is an event. I mean, chapter 2 is like one day. Chapter 2 is the same day. All of chapter 2 is the same day. And, you know, on day one, he's like showing her all this favor. Not even day one, like, you know, first five minutes, he's showing her favor. How beautiful is this because of what preceded Ruth? Something beautiful. I mean, you see examples of people that are so like nasty in terms of rotten fruit. It's like, you know, sometimes it precedes them. And it's like, uh, you know, leaven, you know, when you get in the works of leaven, sometimes the work is so nasty that it's like, man, you know, like, I have to separate. Just as just as Paul says, you know, well, you have to separate from the leaven. When you're remnant, you have to separate from the leaven. And sometimes the works are so bad in the world where it's like, you know, like there has to be separation. But in, uh, a leaven in, inside the church, there has to be separation. And sometimes the nasty fruit precedes too. And it's just so nasty that it's like, hey, I got to separate. Paul even says, hey, separate. That's what the remnant does. And it's sad to say because it's almost like we have more examples of nasty fruit than we do have of the good fruit. And yet here with Ruth, we see something so beautiful that what was inside of her, the beautiful, lovely fruit, and her works, what she had done in leaving her own biological mother, her own biological father, and clinging to to, to, uh, to Naomi, leaving her land, leaving leaving Moab. Remember last week in our study, your God will be my God, your people will be my people. And she left, and Boaz heard about that. He's the full report had been given to her, given to him, and they're just meeting now for the first time. And yet her fruit preceded her. How beautiful is that? And you know what happened with Boaz? Boaz was able to perceive and understand what preceded her. He was able to see something so lovely. I mean, look at the foreman. When he asked, like, who is that woman? The foreman, he said who she was, but he didn't say anything about her fruit. She said, yeah, this is... He didn't say anything about the fruit of Ruth and then the other men. Boaz had to command them, hey, don't you dare touch her. So the foreman didn't say anything about the kind of fruit of Ruth. For the other men, Boaz had to warn them like, hey, leave your hands off or don't touch her. They all observed the same woman. But it's Boaz who had eyes to see and perceive a special beauty. 
and just like Boaz and just like Ruth for our time. It is only the remnant that can perceive the beauty of holiness. Only the remnant. And so Boaz continues speaking to Ruth. And in verse 12, he says, the Lord repay your work. The Lord repay your work and a full reward be given you by the Lord God of Israel, whose wings you have come for refuge. Notice, Boaz isn't taking credit for anything. He's giving glory to the Lord. You see, yes, Boaz has wealth. Yes, he's a man of wealth. But it's in service to the Lord. And Ruth, she's experiencing God's favor by a man who honors the Lord. You see? I mean, you might say like, well, it's Israel and Israel, is, they're God's people. So, you know, hold on a second. Hold on a second. Remember, this is during the Judges era. And we just got done with the book of Judges where we see a whole lot of mess. You see? And we, we do see in the book of Judges, we do see pockets of rest, period of time where there is rest in the land, but it's short-lived rest. And yet, look at this beauty that we see. Look at this beauty that we see in a man and woman. The beauty of Ruth, the beauty of Boaz. And captured in the canon of Scripture, our Lord wants us to see this. Our Lord wants us to take notice. And behold this precious beauty that we see in Ruth and Boaz. And in verse 13, then she said, let me find favor in your sight, my Lord. Now, notice this is lowercase l. She's acknowledging his headship. Let me find favor in your sight, my Lord, for you have comforted me and have spoken kindly to your maidservant, though I am not like one of your maidservants. In the Hebrew, this is bondservant, but it's for females. It's the bondwoman. The bondwoman. Very important. Very important to remember that, you know, females in, in, the, in the field. Very important. Even as New Covenant believers. And if you're listening for the first time and you're like, what is he talking about? Go back and listen to our study in 1 Corinthians. And you'll learn all about field workers you know when when paul says you know we are the workers you are the field we are the workers you are the house remember and so this maid servant that's bond servant but it's for females and what she's doing here ruth she's acknowledging the headship of boaz because remember he asked her by imploring don't go to another man's field Stay with me in my field. You see? You have provision, Ruth. Remember, he just got done telling her. You have provision. You have safety. And he tells her, stay with me. And what she's doing, she's responding in the affirmative. She's saying, yes, I'll stay with you in your field subjugating herself as bondservant, as bondwoman. Remember, she's not Hebrew, she's Gentile. And she's subjugating herself. You see? And in verse 14, Now Boaz said to her at mealtime, Come here and eat of the bread and dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. 
I mean, if blessing upon blessing wasn't enough, now she gets to eat with Boaz. I mean, do you remember in the examples that we would give in prior times, and we do it every now and then. I mean, if you're a new listener, you, this, you might be hearing this for the first time, but if you've been walking with us for a while, you, you've heard this, you know, once or twice, maybe thrice. Where you and me were servants. We come from a poor family. We're sold for servanthood. And in the example where it's like, you know, you know, where I cook and you, you serve the food. So, you know, I cook and, you know, I, I, I don't season it properly or I don't, I don't season it to how our master likes because we just met him. This is the first day we just met him. And then so you give him the food and, you know, you, he puts the fork on the other side and he puts his glass on the other side, his orange juice on the other side, you know. He, and so what you're doing is you're observing him and it's like, okay, you're, you know, he likes it like this. He likes it like this. You come back and say, oh, he, he put salt and pepper on this, you know, and he put a little sprinkle of this and he sprinkled his cheese over here and did this and that. And so you tell me, and in the course of time, we get to know our master. We get to know our master. You see, where like you put the plate down and he doesn't adjust a thing. Why? Because you know him. He doesn't need salt and pepper anymore. You know why? Because I know him and I prepare it to his liking. You serve him to his liking. And so he says to us, hey, why don't you guys pull up a chair? Why don't you join me for this meal? You see, and we have a. We're kind of like shocked because here you have this wealthy guy and our families warned us, you know, our, we, we had like a, 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 a crazy cousin who told us, you know, be careful with that guy. He has money. He has money. And, you know, rich people are evil. Rich people are evil. And, you know, be careful with them. And here we are. We're, we're, what's to be careful of? I mean, we, we look at each other like we should be careful of our cousin. He's crazy. We should be careful, careful with our other cousin. She's crazy. Because here we are with this man of wealth. And he's beautiful. You see? I mean, he tells us to pull up a chair. He wants to eat with us. He wants us to eat with him. And so here we are, we're eating like, you know, choice meat and, you know, choice everything. And it's like, wow, this is, it's not just that it's good food and delicious food. I mean, you know there's that too, but, and it probably is good, but at the same time, it's like the fact that, like, we had people warn us, like, you know, be careful with this guy. He's rich. He's rich. He's rich. rich. Be careful. Be careful. Be careful. And here we are. It's like, he wants us to sit with him. And yes, there's the, there's the food, but all of a sudden to the point where the food kind of becomes irrelevant because now we're starting to fall in love with our master. You see, and he's falling in love with us so much so that our time served, it comes to its end because remember it's indentured servanthood. It comes to its end. And then we go to our master and we say, master, today's our last day of serving you. Tomorrow we can go to our homes and you know, we're, we're done. We served our time, but master, we don't want to master. We want to be your bond servants. You see? And the master could say, well, you know, I don't like you. So, you know, the master could say that. But the master says, you know what? You want to be my bondservants? 
he says, I would love that. And so what happened, we would, you know, he would put it all through our right ear. He would put it all at the doorpost. And that's what would happen. And it would have like a ring in our ear. And that would be like our signet that says, no, we're not just servants. We are his bond servants. We had the opportunity to be free and go back and live our lives. But we rejected that. And now we are cleaved to our master. We are his bond servants. You see? It's so beautiful. So many times today, it's like we lose sight of the fact. And I get it. Sometimes we lose sight of these things because it's like, well, okay, it's, it's, it's Old Testament. And we have this huge, huge, huge gap of time. Especially in this day and age, with this culture that we live in, we lose sight of so many beautiful things of the old. And sometimes our, our, our concept based on, you know, present day examples, sometimes these present day examples ruin how we can see Old Testament truths. But when you look closer and clearly, it's so beautiful. It's so beautiful to see what is happening here with Boaz and Ruth. Because it's not just like, well, you know, Boaz, I, I, I got another servant here and, you know, another, another hand to do this work. No, he's different. Remember, he comes to see his workers and he's not like, hey, get to work. Why do you, you know, you know, hurry it up, you know, snapping his finger, you know, getting a whip, you know, and beating people. Hey, you know, get to work, get to work. No, hey, the Lord bless you guys. You see, the Lord be with you. The Lord be with you. The Lord bless you, he says. Or the, the workers say. And so Ruth, she's been, Boaz just got done telling her that all these fields, remember we're, we're in the country, we're not in Bethlehem. We're in the countryside of Bethlehem where all the fields are. And there's all kinds of different rich people. And Boaz says, listen, stay here. And so in her response, she says, okay. And then Boaz says to her, let's eat. Come here, eat with me. Eat of this bread, dip your piece of bread in the vinegar. Now, you might think it's just bread. You might think it's just bread, but I bet you. I bet you, I'm not a betting man, but I bet you, for sake of argument, that bread with Boaz is not like the average bread. I bet you. And so Boaz, he invites Ruth. Look what happens here in verse 14. So she sat beside the reapers and he passed parched grain to her and she ate and was satisfied and kept some back. And when she rose up to glean, so, you know, she gets up, she's going to go back to work in the field. But, you know, it's, it's different now because she's now a maidservant unto Boaz, where Boaz said, you know, don't go to another field, stay in my field. And she responds, okay. Serving Boaz as maidservant. And so in verse 15, when she rose up to glean, Boaz commanded his young man saying, let her glean even among the sheaves and do not reproach her. See, as maidservant, she's joined the ranks of servants now, where they might tell her to work in a certain manner or even chastise her for not doing it like them. 
And Boaz, the master, says to them, Don't do that. Don't reproach her. Let her glean among the sheaves. And in verse 16, he continues and says, Also let grain from the bundles fall purposely for her. Leave it that she may glean and do not rebuke her. Now remember, Naomi, the, the matriarch, the mother-in-law, who's you know at home in Bethlehem right now, Naomi didn't manipulate anything. You see, Ruth, she's not targeting Boaz to get something out of him. Or, you know, I'm going to go to this rich guy and I'm, you know, she, that's not happening at all. What's happening? Things are just falling into place. They're just happening. And you can look at this and look at verse 16 and say, well, Boaz is manipulating. Boaz is manipulating and, you know, because he wants grain to fall on purpose for her. He wants grain to fall on purpose. And I get that argument. I get it. But we have to remember that Boaz is master. They work for him. They work for him. That's not manipulation. That's obedience unto the master. You see? So Ruth returns to the fields to work. And in verse 17, so she gleaned in the field until evening and beat out what she had gleaned. And it was about an ephah of barley. Very interesting what we see. Because in past chapters where we've seen an ephah of barley, it's an offering unto the Lord. But here in Ruth chapter 2, we see an ephah of barley. Unto a Gentile woman in the field of Boaz. Very interesting. It just so happens, it just so happens that that's what we see. And in verse 18, then she took it up and went into the city. So what a day it has been. What a day it has been. Ruth, she hasn't seen Naomi since the morning. And so now it's evening. And Ruth returns to Naomi. She has food now. She comes with food. She has grain. She has barley. And what she kept back from, from the meal in verse 14. And in verse 18, you know, she took it up, went into the city, and her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. So she brought out and gave to her what she had kept back after she had been satisfied. So the food, you know, in the house of Naomi, we have food. Provision in the house of Naomi. Verse 19, and her mother-in-law said to her, where have you gleaned today? And where did you work? Blessed be the one who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, the man, the man's name with whom I worked today is Boaz. Then Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, blessed be he of the Lord who has not forsaken his kindness to the living and the dead. You see, kindness, the kindness of Boaz shown to Ruth. The kindness of Boaz shown to Naomi. The kindness of Boaz shown to Naomi's husband who has passed away, Elimelech. And Naomi said to her, This man is a relation to, of ours. One of our close relatives, she tells her. Ruth the Moabitess said, in verse 21, Ruth the Moabitess said, 
He also said to me, you shall stay close by my young men until they have finished all my harvest. So young men in the Hebrew is like adolescents, you know, the adolescent age worker of both, uh, both including male and female. That's how the word translates in the Hebrew. So she's not going to go be like working in the field and doing the heavy lifting, so to speak, the heavy lifting of the adult men. But she's absolutely, absolutely a worker in the field. Absolutely. It's very important to remember as New Covenant believers that she is absolutely a worker in the field. There are some duties that are reserved for the men. But the command of Boaz was to stay with the young men. That The young men translates of both male and female. Adolescent age. But she's absolutely a worker in the field. And we continue and we see in verse 22. Now understand too, the older Hebrew Naomi imparts wisdom to the younger Gentile Ruth. And in verse 22, and Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, it is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women and that people do not meet you in any other field. What a beautiful confirmation from the matriarch. Naomi telling Ruth that, yes, you're safe with Boaz. Don't go to another field. Stay in his field. What a beautiful confirmation. And in verse 23, so she stayed close by the young women of Boaz to glean until the end until the end of barley harvest and wheat harvest. And she dwelt with her mother-in-law. It's so beautiful to see the things that are panning out. What a day it's been in Ruth chapter 2. One day, morning till evening. What a beautiful day it's been. What a turn of events. The things that have unfolded in Ruth chapter 2, where we see grace mercy, the Lord being honored. And remember, this is in the midst of, remember, encapsulated in the book of Judges. And Judges was a painful, painful book because you see the ups and the downs, the ups and the downs, and sometimes the ups are nicely up, and sometimes the downs are terribly down. But in the midst of that, you see something beautiful in Boaz, in Ruth, and Naomi, individuals who choose to honor the Lord. A remnant, you see, a remnant to the beautiful, beautiful, beautiful people of the way, a remnant of these last days. God bless you. I love you.